In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give thanks to God always for you all, making a remembrance of you in our prayers without ceasing, being mindful of the work of your faith and labor and charity, and of the enduring of the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ before God and our Father. This weekend, the Ordinary Form and the Extraordinary Form can form bookends of uh, one long homily. And uh, so that means you get only half of a long homily. Um, thanks be to God. Um, and I'm not nearly as funny as these Franciscans think I am. I won't introduce them to you because you've already met them at Mass. But if you're new, uh, which may be the case because our numbers are growing, you haven't uh, observed. So keep on inviting people to Mass. Um, and uh, even people you might not suspect of having um, an interest in um, beauty. Uh, um, so if you are new to Mass, I'll introduce you to the Franciscans afterwards. Um, so let me quickly summarize part one of this weekend's long homily. Our Lord in Matthew, Mark, and Luke uses the phrase this generation to, to speak derisively of the childish ones who um, are like the children, you know, playing in the sand, you know, saying, you know, I sang you a dirge, but you did not uh, dance, right? Um, the phrase is used 16 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this generation. Uh, more, more, uh, evocatively in comparing this, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes to this generation that will be condemned by the men of Nineveh and condemned by the Queen of the South. This adulterous and perverse generation, he says even. This wicked and perverse generation, he says. The phrase is used time and time again. St. John, as you know, doesn't use the phrase uh, this generation, or maybe you didn't know, but now you do. But you do probably have some familiarity with how St. John in the fourth gospel uses the phrase the Jews in a very similar way. He doesn't mean all of the Jews. That would mean our, you know, our lady and all of our Lord's faithful followers and all those who gave up everything and everyone to follow our Lord. When St. John uses the phrase the Jews, he's using that to mean those people who were trying to look for reasons to dismiss Jesus and eventually to kill him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uses the phrase this generation to mean the same. In the description of the tribulations that are to come, Matthew 24, which comes after our Lord using the phrase this generation time and time again in Matthew 23, Aha, yes, that Matthew 23. We should have Matthew 23 uh, not memorized, but at least remember to associate Matthew 23 with his diatribe against the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe to you, right? It's the, it's the denunciation of them over and over and over again. That's Matthew 23. 
This generation is used quite a few times in Matthew 23. And even then in Matthew 24, Matthew 24 describes the great tribulation. And then after the tribulation, so many things will happen. And we hear in Matthew 24, also in Mark 13, this, these things, this generation will not pass away until these things happen. <clears throat> Pardon me. This generation will not pass away until these things happen. And when you hear that, you hear, oh, these things are going to happen really soon. And even the people who heard him thought, these things are going to happen really soon. And then gradually, the church understood what our Lord meant. In the same way that the apostles remembered after the resurrection, remembered things that our Lord said. And it finally um, made sense to them. Even that much more so did they have to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to be led into all truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things happen. And all these things that are about to happen, well, they happen in every generation, too. Wars and people claiming to be Christ, famine and earthquakes, all those things. So rather than identifying how soon these things will all happen, our Lord is promising us not only will these earthly calamities always be with you in every generation so that you can live in the, in the moment hoping, anticipating our Lord's return, but also this generation, they will always be with you. What does that mean, this generation? Those childish, wicked, perverse adulterous people who only want to see Jesus killed. They will always be with you. All right. So, for what do we give thanks? Of course, this is part two of the homily. We give thanks to God always for you all, making a remembrance of you in our prayers without ceasing. We naturally give thanks to God for all of the good people and the wonderful things and the blessings and the assistance that God gives us far beyond what we deserve. Not only is our Lord merciful in not inflicting us with what we deserve, but our Lord is generous and gracious and gives us more than we deserve. We, do not have, we only have a share in some of the suffering that we deserve but we, we share in so much more goodness than we deserve. And so we give thanks to God naturally. We don't even need to be, well, some of us need to be prompted to write thank you notes for that favorite gift or that wonderful you know, remembrance or that great act of kindness of others. But still, as soon as we're prompted, of course, we're eager to, to thank um, those who have... Uh, who have been so generous to us. It's, it's worth remembering that we still thank God. Someone might even object, well, God is God. God is good. God has to do good. So why, do we thank, why would we thank God for being just? Why would we thank God for being good? God can't be anything but good. Usually the person who makes that objection has either had not enough sleep or too much caffeine. However, it's similar to why we would thank those who have simply done their duty. 
considered that last Sunday. Because goodness and, and beauty and truth delight us because we know we don't, we don't deserve that. As much as we were made in the image and likeness of God, the, the fallen condition in which we have entered into this world and the sins to which we have contributed to that fallen condition make us always in need of giving thanks for everything good and everything true and everything beautiful, even when it comes from someone who has made a promise to do that, and even when it comes from God himself. There are those who have grown tired of life. They take no joy anymore in their beautiful vocations. And they don't give thanks anymore to God who deserves all of their heart, all of their love, all of their strength. Perhaps even more puzzling is that we also give thanks to those who have been the cause of our suffering. Or we give thanks to God. The family that's struggling, the family that's in distress, that still decides to be thankful to God, that pauses after Mass, and instead of just simply putting their, their grim face on to go out to face the world, but actually give, gives genuine, heartfelt thanks to God. They're not, they're not able to say thank you to God because you've taken away the cancer or because you've taken away the bad people that are persecuting us or because you've taken away whatever, fill in the blank. No, they can't offer thanks for that because it hasn't happened. True enough, we do thank God in anticipation of the prayers being answered knowing that God will answer our prayers, but we don't know that God's going to give us the lollipop that we ask for. We can't force God's hand by saying, I've given thanks that you're going to let me win the lottery. Therefore, I've not only prayed the petition, but I've given thanks for it. Therefore, you're going to give it to me. No. God is God. We don't play games with God. We do already anticipate God fulfilling our prayers and give thanksgiving, because we know God fulfills his promises. That much more poignantly is it beautiful to God when someone who is suffering doesn't just turn to him in humility and turn to him for, with petitions, but even turns to him with thanksgiving. For what do we have to be thankful? That God has not abandoned us. That God suffers with us. That God accompanies us through the valley of tears. That God makes it possible for us to carry a cross that would crush us otherwise. That God gives us strength and hope and encouragement when we would, we would have given up a long time ago. And we, we will even give thanks for those people because even that evil person or that person who might not be evil but sometimes we're tempted to regard them as evil, even they reflect the beauty, the dignity, and the glory of God by their very existing, by God having chosen to create them and sustain them in existence. 
That human being is one as well for whom Christ shed his blood. That other man is also redeemed. So in the same way that in years past, I've encouraged you to turn to the cross and look to our Lord and not just simply say, give me what I want or even forgive me of my sins, but comfort him, offer him comfort as Our Lady did, St. John did, St. Veronica did. How beautiful is it when one is suffering They offer comfort and encouragement to one they love. So too in giving thanks. We give thanks to God for all of his blessings, for all of his love. We give thanks to him for the the most precious act of love and his dying for us on the cross. The incarnation, the paschal mystery, all reveal God's love for us. should always find us thankful and grateful. And we will thank him for permitting us to share in his suffering. We will thank him for accompanying us in all of our struggles. We will thank him for permitting us, as the apostles did, to suffer for the sake of his name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.